right, guys. So it's just big me, big me and big Mo today. We're going to be going over some questions that we have from you guys from his Q and A and his story. Um, let's just do that today. Yeah, yeah. We'll just get into it, bang out a few questions for the kind people that watch our podcast. All one hundred of you guys. Uh, <laughs> very loyal though very loyal 100 but the thing is we're going to try to do this twice a week and so that's why we're going to have you know more q a's going um we just want to get more content out there so we'll do our best make sure you guys do leave questions you can leave them in the youtube um comment area as well because we'll also go through those at the end and we'll we'll pick up any good questions there and answer them but yeah let's see what you got man uh, okay, so how do you keep insulin sensitivity high while eating so much food? Um, well, number one, I think is you're going to go through periods of reducing your carbohydrate intake and maybe increasing fats. Uh, another thing you're going to do, maybe if you're, if you're, you know, using insulin, then, you know, that's another way that you're going to keep your, um, your blood glucose down. Um, monitoring the amount of GH you're using, if you're using that, making sure you're, you're doing cardio, um, at least on a consistent basis, being physically active, like just going for walks. doesn't have to be cardio, but just being more active. Um, and then the last thing is making sure that your training is optimal so that you're actually really using up a lot of the energy reserves in your muscle, contracting them, and then getting those muscle cells more sensitive to insulin, I guess. What would, what would you say? Yeah, I think you covered it, man. I, like I, um, I did answer this on my Instagram too, but you know, I, I basically said just like monitor body fat levels, make sure you're doing some cardio, even with the growth phase, so just cardio itself, like just moving your body, like burning through some of that energy is just going to keep you insulin sensitive, right? Because if you get your body in this constant sedentary phase, it kind of gets used to just like storing and not utilizing energy. And it's almost like it can get stuck there. Right. Yeah. So I think just by like, you know, if you can just get in some like a couple 10 minute walks a day, it will do wonders, you know, for your insulin sensitivity when you're, when you're trying to eat to grow. But yeah. And just like, don't like, you know, I think people are in such a rush to get huge. And a lot of times they jump the gun on food increase. And I've done this myself with clients and then you obviously need to go back and correct it. But like, if you're adding food to your diet, like give it two or three weeks, maybe before you add food again, like you shouldn't need to, in some cases you do, like some guys burn through food crazy fast and you need to increase food every week to get the scale moving, but not with most people, like increase your food, let your body adapt. You should take three or four weeks and then, then you'll know, you know, try to like milk every diet increase for whatever you can, like get the most out of like however much food you're eating before you have to increase it again. I think a lot of times, like, you know, as bodybuilders, we can kind of have some like gluttony in us. And we just want to get to that point in the off season where we're just eating a shit ton of food and like just feeling really big. But if you rush it, it's going to be so counterproductive because I know this again, because I've, I've made this mistake with clients too, where I'm feeding these guys and their weight doesn't budge. I feed them some more and their weight doesn't budge. And then I feed them some more and the next thing they're up 10 pounds in like a week. Yeah. Right. And they start putting on body fat. Then you got to bring things back down. And it kind of like, messes up the uh, the muscle gaining phase a bit, right? So I think it's just about monitoring yourself, right? Yeah, and then the, the other thing I just thought of too is you could always use something like a metformin if you were, if you were noticing each, uh, first of all, you should be always measuring your, your blood glucose at least twice a day. The more I do research on this, the more I realize that actually getting a continuous glucose monitor and using that for a two week period to get all the data you need, and then addressing the things that need to be changed going forward. You don't need to use a, a continuous glucose monitor forever. You just need two weeks of strict data. You know exactly what's going on in your body all the time. And then you can use that and you can implement changes, whether you need to work on your insulin sensitivity or whatever the case may be. So you could use metformin. You can even use metformin and insulin together. Now, these kind of things, you want to make sure you have a coach helping you with that. You just don't want to be throwing in things here and there. So we don't need to talk too much about that. But those are some, uh, you know, clinical administrations that you can use. You could also use something like a berberine that can be, you know, about as efficacious as maybe a metformin in clinical trials, but these aren't people that are 
like a GBA, they're maybe. probably yeah they're probably not eating 800 to a thousand grams of carbs a day so yeah. you know take that with a grain of salt um the other thing i'm not a, i'm not a big fan of doing um gdas with uh cheat meals like i don't think you want to necessarily be making yourself super uh insulin sensitive around high uh calorie bolus meals like a high super high fat like you go and you have like a burger and fries you're probably getting in like i don't know 100 grams plus of fat you probably don't want to be super sensitive to your insulin around that time now maybe if you're doing a refeed day that would make more sense because you're going to be doing lower fats and you're going to be doing higher carbs so that would probably be what i would introduce like a metformin or a berberine but then the last point would be like just making sure that when you're if 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 and when you're doing cheat meals or you're doing refeeds that especially on those days around those meals you're checking your blood glucose before and after you eat so let's say you were going to have a cheat meal at like meal four or meal five you still got another meal to go if you you know you have that cheat meal and then you have some ice cream after or whatever the case is most likely you're going to have some high blood glucose for the whole rest of the night so then if you go and you eat your meal six on top of that this is what i used to do all the time which was kind of giving me uh some issues is that you're just compounding at that point. So your, your blood glucose hasn't come back down to a normal range yet, but now you're eating another 75 or hundred grams of carbs on top of that. That's not good. Even though it's a clean meal, it doesn't really make a lot of sense for your long-term health. So. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think it boils down to like, you, you kind of said this and like all your, um, like everything you mentioned there, it's that like, you need to make sure like you should check your blood sugar <laughs> like before yeah. you kind of do anything. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. guys just bring insulin. Like guys treat insulin like it's a steroid, right? And it's like, oh, I'm just going to start doing insulin now, and that's going to get me huge. It's like, but do you need it? Like, if yeah. your body is just, you know, doing its thing and it's it's you know shoveling those carbs all by itself, and you're not getting any like fat storage or anything that you shouldn't be getting, then doing insulin, bringing insulin is probably just going to make things more complicated, right? That's right, for sure. Yeah, and then and even though it's touted as the most anabolic hormone, which is true anabolic just means storing and so there's there's a massive difference between storing muscle mass and storing body fat so insulin can help you do both of those things so definitely uh you know i would do as much research as possible get a good coach before you start any, any of those uh what else you got well kind of this question kind of leads off to that one so uh do you think increasing fat has any benefit other than flavor and making food easier to eat um, well, yeah, I mean, well, first of all, fats play a massive role in the human body. They are the main source of cellular function not cellular energy, but cellular function in terms of all cells have a cell membrane that is made up of fat. So you want to be able to give the cells that protection that they need, or else they're going to be more likely to get damaged and destroyed doing just their normal functions. So definitely I want to have as much unsaturated fat as possible in my diet, especially things like EPA, DHA, monounsaturated fats, polyunsaturated fats. Those are really, really important. Then we can talk about things like MCTs that you can use as a means of increasing energy without increasing carbohydrates, good for maybe, you know, fat loss phase, things like that. And then last, saturated fats, which are necessary for building cholesterol, which then helps you make testosterone. So having especially um in a natural athlete someone who's not using performance enhancing drugs you want to make sure you're getting a certain amount of saturated fat so you can have that testosterone output and then in terms of like is more better well i don't think more of anything is better no if you have enough protein then having more protein doesn't necessarily make your gains better same thing with carbs it's the same thing with fats yeah agreed yeah well i would say like you know i mean yeah that was pretty detailed, obviously, but, you know, I think uh, it's obviously an easy way to add calories to your diet if you're trying to go into a calorie surplus. And I mean, again, we talked about blood sugar, you know what I mean? Like if you're like, you know, if you're taking a lot of carbs, blood sugars are running kind of high, but you still need to add more calories to grow. Like fats are a great option because they'll probably help regulate your blood sugar a little bit better. It's going to add more calories. So it's kind of two birds with one stone kind of thing with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously you need them, like, you know what I mean? And And I think it's something that can be excluded heavily in a bodybuilder's diet and it can lead to health issues down the road. Like a lot of guys will just eat, you know, steak and rice and chicken and rice and, you know, exclude omega-3s out of their diet. 
Yep. And uh, those are things that are going to be essential. Like, you know, when you're young, you might not have to worry about it, but it's something that if you don't pay attention to when you're young, it can give you problems down the road. Yep. And it can be as easy as taking the tablespoon of fish oil every day. Right. So, yeah, I just think it's, I think they're, you know, valuable and definitely overlooked. So it's, it's good to bring attention to fats every now and then. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I know for myself, like with my body, if I'm doing a contest prep phase, for example, I always end up looking better and I do much better energy wise and muscle fullness and all that kind of stuff. If I have a good base level of fat and if I, if I drop my fats too low, you know, my skin texture doesn't look as good. Uh, my muscles don't look as round and full. So even, even as I drop carbs down, I would prefer to drop carbs down as low as possible at a certain given time and keeping fats higher versus dropping my fats down really low and trying to keep carbs higher. Because I just, yeah. I just think for me, for my body and you know, other people I'm sure are like this too. And that's why you can't just assume that a high carbohydrate, low fat diet works well for everybody because everybody's body is different. So totally, man, I'm utilizing a, a high fat, low carb approach more and more than I ever have now with my clients. Yeah. And I'm getting good results from that, especially in females. It works. Yeah. And like you were saying too, it's a way of, especially if you're trying to gain weight, then for example, you know, you can also use that as an, uh, an advantage to have more calories in a lower volume of food. So you're adding like olive oil and peanut butter and, you know, if all these kind of things are eating salmon, then you're not putting as much of a, a GI distress load on your gut, right? You're getting, you're getting more calories in a lower volume. So you're not blowing at your waist. Yeah, exactly. It's huge. You just need a balance, right? And then you need to find what works for you, like you said. But one one interesting concept I always go back to with facts is that, you know, your what you eat is going to determine your fuel source, right? Yeah. So if you're eating carbs, your body's going to, you know, burn carbs as a fuel source mostly, right? But I mean, I feel like the easiest way to get lean, if that's someone's goal, is to eliminate carbs, make your body fuel off of fat. Because whenever it runs out of the fat you're putting into it, it's going to be so programmed to burn fat as fuel, it's going to dig into your fat stores, right? Yeah. So just something to keep in mind when dieting. And it doesn't necessarily need to be no carbs and all fats, right? Especially depending on the person, how much muscle you have and stuff like that. Like if I want to decrease my carbs at 50 grams a day and increase my fats, I bet you even if the calories were the same, I would start to look leaner because my body's going to start automatically burning more fat as fuel, right? Yeah. So just something to keep in mind. Yeah. And also a lot of people think that, oh, I don't know a lot of people, but there, there is some, uh, I guess there, there are certain people who talk about, you know, grains and like veggies and like all these kind of things being necessary for, uh, the microbiome and like your gut health development. But there's also a lot of research kind of saying the opposite that you don't need grains. You don't need veggies to, because you know, your, your, your gut is so diverse. It's got like three, four, 5,000 different species in there already and it adapts based on what you're eating so you can actually just use like you can use mcts you can use fats you can use collagen to actually increase in your your microbiome population and health so you don't necessarily like people always think like you need veggies some people don't like carnivore diets there's no veggies at all and a lot of these people do really well but you also have to consider like there's a spectrum to this and there's there's outliers so you know, maybe 5%. Honestly, people. you'd be interested though with like, I, I'd love to see someone's blood work who follow the carnivore diet for like six months. Well, that's just it, right? It's like, well, same. then you go on the other opposite side and you got the vegans, right? It's like maybe 5% of people, they do really well and they're very healthy on a vegan diet. Maybe 5% of people, you know, they do really well and they, they're healthy on a carnivore diet. But like 90% of people are going to have to find a balance somewhere in the middle. So you don't need to go keto to get your, to your goals. And you don't need to go no fat, super high carbs to get to your goals either. Maybe, you know, you experiment and see where you, where you land and how many fats you need, how many carbs you need. And again, you know, that's where having a coach can help you because you can look for those signs that you might, and he might be able to, or he, he or she might be able to teach you. These are the signs that you're looking for that you need more fats in your diet. Yeah, exactly. People just don't, don't understand the symptoms yeah. of, of what their food is doing to them. Yeah. Right. Like I feel this way, but I have no fucking idea what it means. Whereas if they tell you or me, then we, we're like, oh, that's because of the, your carbs are super low, or this is because your your digestion sucks because you have too many fats and too much fiber, like things like that, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So, okay, what are your go-to pre-workout meals, and do you prefer a shorter or longer time between your meal to your workout? Uh, you go first. 
I like religiously do chicken. Sure, right. <laughs> like it's like, like even if it's because my training time changes a lot lately, especially just where I'm so busy with stuff. So I'll like, I basically have like my breakfast is always going to be my breakfast, basically the eggs and oats right now. Sure. Um, and then it's supposed to be like ground beef and rice, then chicken and rice. And then I'll train. Then I'll have chicken and rice after the gym again, salmon and rice. And then my last meal, which is like protein and oatmeal usually. But like, even if my training time switches, like I'll just rearrange my meals to make sure I'm having chicken and rice at least before the gym. I'm not too picky on having it after the gym. Like sometimes I come home from the gym, I want to have salmon. Uh, so, so I'll just do it. Like, I don't really care. I don't think it matters that much. Um, but yeah, so I was chicken and rice for me. And I'm like, I'm, I'm definitely quicker than most people. Like I don't like, I don't really love walking in the gym and feeling like I have an empty stomach. Yeah. It kind of makes me feel like I don't have a lot to give. Right. So I find more times than not, like I still, I, I definitely don't feel like full bloated or anything like that, but I feel somewhat full when I begin my workout. So I'll probably, I'd say I, after, by the time I finish eating and the time I'm training, it's probably like 45, 60 minutes. Yeah, that's that's me. So do you add fats to that meal, the pre-workout meal? No fats? I don't need to. My my so yeah, because usually because like my meal one probably has like 25 grams of fat in it. Yeah. My meal two probably has another 15 or 20. And then my pre-workout meal, I just want chicken and rice because I'm gonna do 25 grams of carbs during my workout as well. Yeah. So I kind of just like sip on that. So yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. I don't, I don't I find, uh, I guess too, where I, where I don't have a lot of time in between my pre-workout meal. And by the time I work out, I don't really need fats. Yeah. You know what I mean, cause I'm home in two and a half hours. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, like, you know, so it's not like I'm not worried about going hyper or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, I kind of do it, um, the other way around because my time to train from after I eat is longer. Cause I drive right now I'm driving an hour to the gym like 50 minutes to the gym and i'll probably i'll eat my my pre-workout meal and then i'll get ready that probably takes me 15 20 minutes and then by the time i get to the gym you know then i warm up for like 20 minutes so it's and by the time i'm actually lifting the weights it's probably been two hours since i ate so for that reason i'll have fats in my pre-workout meal but my pre-workout meal is pretty much similar so i'll do it's either it's either chicken or rice and avocado or i'll do uh, cream of rice and beef just depends on what i want and then I'll basically have my, my cream of rice with whey. I'll just have that right after I train. Uh, I do a meditation. I eat that. And then I drive back home. And then by the time I, I get back home, since that meal digests really quickly, then I'm either having the, the beef with the cream of rice, or I might just have rice, or I'll have the chicken and avocado with rice after that one. So Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So pretty much, pretty much I'll have fats in like every meal except for my, my post-workout. Just because it's by that point, it's been like, three and a half hours since I ate that meal. So I'm like, I need something right away. And then that one's so fast. It takes me about an hour to get home. I'm probably eating nine minutes, 90 minutes later after that one. So it just, has to, it just has to make sense for your schedule. Right. You know, like, there's no perfect timing. I don't think. How much like, uh, how much like effort do you put into making each individual meal? Like, are you just like slapping together like prep food or are you like taking time to like make it like taste good? Like every single meal um i i mean it depends on the day if, if i'm at home all day then i'll I'll try to make every meal taste as good because i'm like oh this is the day that i can kind of just enjoy my food yeah um but then again if i'm if i'm out all day and i just have to throw things in the container then you know i just i just throw it in there and i just go with the franks and the mustard and i just you know i don't really care at that point because i'm kind of preoccupied with other stuff so i'm not thinking about food as much I'm the only time that really changes is like on on prep you know on, on prep I, I don't care still you know, if I'm, if I'm out and about and I have to bring my meals with me, but I just, I want to be able to like sit down in a, in a quiet place and like enjoy them at least. So yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. The thing, the thing with me is like, yeah, I want my food to taste good. Cause I want it to go down. I don't want to be like eating dry chicken where it takes me like 40 minutes to choke it down. So I always try to make the meal palatable, but at the end of the day, it's just fuel. So if you can enjoy your food and like sit down, then that you should just, that's like a bonus. You don't always get that, that chance, but when you do get that chance, just, you know, I try to make the best of it. So maybe spice it up a little extra, you know, sometimes I'll, if I'm cooking for myself or I'm cooking for someone else, I just try to make the plate look more aesthetic, you know, make it like all chef fancy, 
it, I, I always enjoyed cooking. I, I worked as a chef for like five years. So that's kind of one thing that I do enjoy to do. Um, so just kind of finding a balance in that. Uh, so do you apply your old chef skills to your cooking now? Well, I think so, man. Like, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't trained as a chef, but I was trained by chefs. So I, I worked, um, you know, like under some, some good chefs and they, you know, it just, you know, when it comes down to it, like, it doesn't have to be fancy. You don't need to, you don't need to know that much. It's really just learning the basic, just like training. You know, yeah. if you learn how to like squat and deadlift and bench properly, you can probably figure out the rest. So it's more like when you, when you're cutting like into a piece of meat, just cut it the right way. And like, you know, just make it look even, you know, that's just by doing that. It tastes better. It looks more aesthetic, that kind of stuff. Spices, super easy to figure out. You just throw things in there, see if it tastes good, you know? So I, I find it just like, uh, it can be enjoyable, like for the creative aspect of it, for sure. Yeah. One thing about food though, like what I always kind of remind myself of, it's that like, you only care about the meal before you have it. Yeah. And it's like, once you ingest the food, it's like, it's in the past. That's it. It doesn't even matter if you enjoyed it or if you didn't enjoy it or if you ate it at a tough or if you ate it on a plate, like it's gone in your stomach and you're, you're just moving out your day. Right. <laughs> and that's what it should be. Right. Yeah, exactly. So like if you maybe, maybe, you know, you have two or three meals a day that you can't really enjoy. Like my, my thing is, and this is the way I'm in prep too. I don't really give a fuck what happens throughout the day. As long as I can sit down and enjoy my last meal before I go to bed. Yeah, because I usually always try to make it like protein powder with oatmeal and peanut butter, so I can have something that's kind of like dessert ish, yeah. right? That that just like keeps me sane throughout prep. So as long as I can like sit down, watch some Netflix, and eat that movie or and eat, eat that movie, eat that food, I'm I'm good to go. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm the same way, man. Like, yeah, and and that's the thing, like you know, clients they they kind of ask me like, you know, how do you how do you get like all your meals ready for the day? It's super super basic. You know, I try to get everything prepped for the day or if I can do two days in a row, it'll take me like 30 minutes or less. And I just, basically what I do, big rice, you know, big thing of rice in the rice cooker. I got veggies in the air fryer and then I do all the meat on the barbecue. It's good to go. And then you just portion it out as you go. I just like in the morning when I need to leave for the day, I just throw my meals in and then I, I go for the day. Like I just find it very, very easy to do that. Like I don't have like a whole like sophisticated meal prep. It's just now it's just literally part of the routine. Yeah. 100%. Uh, yeah. What else we got? Okay. So if you had to choose between Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, and Star Wars, what would it be? To watch? To read? To just keep in the world. Keep in the world. Do what other two got to uh, go. Shit. Probably Harry Potter, man. Because that's, that's the stuff I was reading. Like my dad would read me Harry Potter when I was little you know and i think that got me into reading myself um and i didn't actually watch the movies until like later on like i, I watched them maybe two three years ago i don't i don't really uh you know might get some flack for this but i don't really care that much about star wars never really got into it that much and dude it's not that it's not even that cool though <laughs> what bro come on bro. lord of the rings is way cooler like guys Fucking no. Jedi's themselves are fucking cool, man. And there's a lot more to Star Wars than just the Jedi's. Well, I haven't really given it like a full chance. You know, I've, I've watched like some of the movies and whatever, but I've liked all of them. I never read the Harry Potter books. I don't. I've, I don't think I've read a book in my life, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but I, I think Star Wars episodes four, five, and six, like the first three episodes, yeah, that ever came out, like they, they definitely had an impact on who I am today. Really. So I have to. I have to go with Star Wars, but like shout out to all three options though, because yeah. Lord, I love Lord of the Rings. I think that was an awesome trilogy and fucking Harry Potter, man. I enjoyed those movies. I, I, I didn't see like the last like two or three movies, but like the first four or five that I watched were all fucking right on, you know? Yeah. That's a tough question. It's a tough question. It's like probably like when I mean, you're talking three of the biggest like movie things of all time, really. Like, you know. So if you had to get rid of one, which one are you getting rid of? Had to get rid of one? Yeah. Ooh. Man. I guess I'd have to say Lord of the Rings just because it, it it's had like the lesser like cultural impact of the three. 
think J.R. Tolkien is going to be fucking slamming those DMs pretty pissed yeah. off with you, man. Yeah, I feel bad. It's like a generation of like, you know, like from The Hobbit to like the Lord of the Rings fans. I feel like I think all, all three of those series have like a massive impact. Sure. But it just but they're all they're all very different, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. And like, I just feel like I grew up in the prime of Lord of the Rings, like our age, like it was like, we were still young enough to like, kind of like really like be into it and like fantasize about it. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? So that, yeah, I mean, I love all three, so it's hard. It's a good question though. Yeah. Um, okay, this is kind of interesting too. What's the most you've ever squat, deadlift and benched? Um, my, 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 the most I ever squatted because I was doing like a pretty good like little bit where i was trying to get really strong on the squat um i did four and a half plates for like i think 10 reps uh deadlift i did six plates for two reps and then bench i don't think i've ever done more than four plates yeah i did uh my, my incline bench is better than my <laughs> flat bench yeah like, yeah because like I, I just never tried flat bench like i flat I, well it's kind of the same like i Last time I flat bench, I did a one rep max at 365. I was young, right? Yeah. And then uh and then like in 2019, I did I incline press 365 for eight. That was my best. And then uh squat 455 for like eight or ten. I can't remember. But no, that was sure. the only time I ever did 455 because the second set I tore my quad. Oh that sure. Was, yeah, that was I was nine weeks out from a show in 2018. And uh, deadlift, I deadlifted 700 pounds when I was like 23. That's crazy. Right after I did 685. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I don't know. The form was probably questionable, but I did it. I, I was like, I was always a strong deadlifter. Like I could still be a strong deadlifter now, but it's just because I'm built for it. Like I got like, super strong glutes and legs and like I got long arms. Like, you know what I mean? Like I was pretty much made for that exercise, but yeah, it yeah. only ever fucked me up, so... Yeah, I mean, that's that's a thing. Like, I've always kind of, once I've gone through a certain point in strength, I've always tried to make the tempo slower and things like that. Like, when I did, you know, four and a half plate squats, I would do them with, like, a four or five second negative because I was always scared of, like, hurting myself. You know, I was like, I don't I don't really, I want to do five plates, but I don't really, I don't really know if it's, it's like, necessary, you know? If it was, if it was necessary and I, I had to do five plate squat to get my legs bigger, then I'll fucking do it. You know? Yeah, I, I have the same viewpoint when it comes to like lifting heavy in general. Cause yeah. I'm like, especially the more like I talk to guys like you and like Dorian and stuff like that, like I feel like I just know a lot more about the muscle and how they actually work and how we actually stimulate them and how there's so many different ways to stimulate a muscle rather than just like fucking lifting heavy. Yeah. It seems like it almost seems dumb to lift like overly heavy. Yeah. Like, with the knowledge I feel like I've acquired. You know what I mean? So. Well, my, my my goal now with uh, specifically with the squat is because since I did uh, some legs with Ben Bukowski recently, he told me to use the the prime ramp so that your heels are elevated. Because I'm I'm a glute dominant squatter, right? So I, I could I could squat four five plates, but I'm not getting stimulation in my quads like I am. Like my glutes are on fire. So now I'm I'm basically taking that glute out of it completely. I'm using a a 30 degree inch ramp, my heels are on the ramp and then I'm squatting down. And now the first time we did it, I was getting buried with like a plate and a half. And now I'm doing two plates and I'm just trying to work my way back because it's way different. You know, you're getting extreme knee flexion, but I mean, the guy was doing six plates that way. So that's the goal, you know? Yeah. That's fucking, it's, it's just a different movement, right? There's like no ankle flexion like at all. Well, yeah. I mean, you're, you're kind of, you're stuck in that. It's like, if you don't have really good ankle mobility, and you have maybe longer legs and things like that. It's a really good way of actually targeting your quads. Yeah, I want to try it. I, I've seen a lot of guys doing the heels elevated. Yeah. And uh, well, like when I really got back into squatting like a few years ago, I, I was wearing squat shoes. Yeah. So similar thing, obviously, right? Yeah. Uh, and they worked. They worked really well for me. Yeah. I know. Like, I know for me, like that's one thing. I. It's just like my size and mobility that prevents me from like barbell squatting. Like I fucking love barbell squatting. I, I was always good at it. Like, and, and I found. I don't know. My legs are probably the best they've ever been now, but when I was squatting like four or five or set to 12 and 15 consistently, like I thought my legs just looked like bananas, like especially my, my sweeps. There's yeah. just, there's just, for me, there's just always been something about barbell squats that made my legs look better than anything else when I was doing them consistently. 
Well, I, I prefer to use the safety bar because I find it just it puts me in a better position, but I totally agree. Like barbell squat, safety bar, front squat, any of that kind of, it just, it's harder. And, and because it's harder, you're in the, this is just like, you know, obviously you, you put more work into something that's harder, you're going to get a better result. You know, like it doesn't matter what you do on a hack squat. It's easier to hack squat than it is to, to barbell squat. But I think if you, if you don't ever do those heavy squats, you don't end up getting, not only do you not have a really complete leg, I feel like you're also going to lock in other areas of your body potentially. I think, yeah. I, and I, and I really believe this too. I think like for like beginners, intermediate guys who are just coming up, like some type of barbell squat is like fucking essential for your leg development early on. Yeah. Like me and you are probably at the point where it's like, yeah, it's still a good movement for us to do. Absolutely. But like we probably don't have to do it. We can probably rely a little more on like V squats, hack squats, leg presses, shit like that. Cause like we kind of have our base, you know what I yeah. mean? And and that's the thing. Like I'll do, I'll do those now last in the workout. Whereas for probably 10 years straight, I always did them first. Cause yeah, the, me the goal too. Was to get me stronger, too. right. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, people see what we do now and they'll be like, Oh, I need to do that. Actually, we didn't do this for most of our career to get to where we were. We actually did the opposite. We always do the heavy compound first and every week the main focus is to get stronger there. And then you kind of do the rest of the exercises after kind of tapering off in terms of like intensity and like how much stability is needed. Now it's almost like the opposite. Now I'm gonna do like the leg day, for example, I'm gonna do a line leg curl and I'm gonna do a standing leg curl or something like that. Then I'm gonna do a leg extension and then I'm gonna do like a pendulum squat or a hack squat. And then I'm gonna do a leg press and then I'm gonna finish with those uh, safety bar squats on the ramp and that's going to be fucking you know just crushing <laughs> yeah. that point so <laughs> well yeah it's good. and it's good because it's like and, and there's something to take into consideration with that too right so like earlier on it's like you can rely on a barbell squat early because like if you're fucking squatting with good form like you're using your legs like you're going to build your lower body whereas like with some of those other exercises you just listed off and like leg presses split squats lunges like there's a lot of technique and like mind muscle connection that's involved to like really get the most out of those so it's like we know at our level now how to get the most out of those other exercises, right? Where it's like, they might not be as effective for someone that's like a beginner. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So doing the squat first seems smarter. Yeah. Definitely. You know what I mean? Because you'll get, I feel like you'll just get way more out of it that way. Yeah. I mean, like probably like the, the best um, uh, beginner leg workout would be like, you do a barbell squat, uh, maybe a heavy leg press, you do some lunges or like a Bulgarian split squat. And then, you know, some stiff like deadlifts, hamstring curls, like you're basically hitting everything there, but you're working more so on the basics. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all it takes in the beginning. Yeah. Right. It's like build that big base, like get your legs big and then worry about like, oh, do I need more VMO? Do I need more quad sweeps? Like how, how are my doctors looking like, and then you can kind of, you know, build, like build off of that. Like that's what yeah. I would recommend for leg training, especially. Yeah. And then, and then the other thing, just going back to like the bench press and the deadlift real quick, the bench press was like the same with you where I did flat bench. Well, you didn't do a lot of flat bench, I guess, but I did a lot of flat bench just because I was like, oh, that's what I got to do. I got to get stronger in the flat bench. I'll get a bigger chest, whatever, you know how it is. But I would get to that point where I'd get to about four plates and then my elbow would hurt. So I just be like, you know, I'm just getting stuck there. Every time I would get to that four plate and then my elbow would hurt and I'd probably regress in strength. It was only when I actually stopped barbell pressing flat and started doing more incline barbell. And then I would do like, um, you know, like a, a low decline, um, uh, dumbbell press, something like that, or a low incline dumbbell press, just varying up the angles, not always doing the same angle. That's when my chest started to develop more. And I always had an okay chest, but again, like I just, I couldn't get past that like plateau for a long time because I was obsessed with the barbell bench. So yeah. I just, for a while, I just said, fuck the barbell bench. And I tell my clients this too. They're like, you know, well, I got to do this. I got to do that. I'm like, but if it's hurting you, if it's hurting your body, then you have to fucking, you know, it's like, I try to tell them like an analogy is like, you know, the relationship, if, if your girlfriend keeps hurting you break up with her, man, you know, if the barbell bench, the squat, whatever the deadlift, if you keep getting injured because you keep repeating that movement, just let it go and do something else. And then you can come back to it later. Same thing with the deadlift. I did deadlift for 10 years off the floor, conventional, 
and fucking I still didn't have a back. My back did not get better. But I, <laughs> my glutes kept getting better and better and better. So that's why recently I was like, you know what? And Big Mike was the one that finally was like, dude, stop lifting off the floor. Just do rack pulls. And I was like, okay, fine. You know, yeah, yeah, so yeah. how many times are you going to repeat the same mistake? So that's part of learning. And that's, that's why you have to do that stuff when you're a beginner. You can't just be like, oh, you know, Mo and Robin don't do deadlifts on the floor. Well, it might work. It might work well for you, yeah. you know? It, it might build a big back for you, just maybe it didn't for us. So, and don't be married to anything in bodybuilding, period. That's it. Yeah. Drugs, food, training, don't be married to anything. Not one thing is going to work for you your whole career. Yeah. Besides testosterone. <laughs> yeah. That's it. And, and Dory, Dory and I were talking about on the last, pop, the last podcast is, you know, not being married to things because like there's so much opportunity to grow in this sport just by doing your own experiments. Absolutely, man. Trying, trying different that. things. That's how you learn. More, yeah, more, than, you, more than anybody telling you, more than you reading anything, it's going out there and just doing the shit. Yeah, and if you're like a real bodybuilder and you're actually passionate about this, like you'll you'll have fun with that. Yeah. Like that's, that's that's what's exciting about it. Like there's no better feeling than trying a new diet or, or, or changing something you're training and getting results from it. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So like, you know, I think people are just in a rush to like figure out how to do things properly. Like they they're like, okay, Robin, like, tell me exactly what to eat. Tell me exactly how to train. I mean, obviously you're a coach, like you do that to, to the best of your abilities, right. With your clients. But yeah. for someone just coming to ask, like, it's like, man, like, you know, you can keep you pointing in the right direction, but you're going to have to figure out some of this shit on your own, like yeah. regardless. Right. But yeah. yeah enjoy it. Definitely. All right. We'll do another one. Yep. All right. I got, I got two left. I feel like we should answer. Okay. Uh, okay. So tips for avoiding injury while lifting heavy over the years. Uh, well, the, the best advice that I can give people is just making sure that you have a really good mobility routine built into your workout routine. So that means spending about 15 to 20 minutes, you know, generally I recommend starting with, you know, some kind of foam rolling where you're on the ground, you're kind of like crawling around on the floor, doing that kind of stuff. And then working into some things like Eldoa, which is basically, it's like yoga, but it's contractile yoga. So you're, you're actually, you know, using muscle contractions to lengthen out your spine and these kind of things. So spend some time there, uh, visual drills. So for your eyes, working the muscles of the eyes, uh, feet and hands. So getting, um, the receptors, sorry, not the receptors, the, uh, reflexes, the Palmer reflex on your palm, the Babinski reflex on your foot, uh, on the sole of your foot. And then besides that, you can do things like proprioception. You know, if, if you like, like, let's say, for example, you're, you're sitting at your desk all day, you're looking at the screen and you get off, you get off your chair and you feel kind of like, oh, I'm a little bit unbalanced today. Well, one of the best things you can do is kind of just stand on one foot, close your eye, and then just like kind of, you just tap your nose and out to the side, but just having your eyes closed, standing on one foot like that is going to help with your proprioception. So your brain and your, the bottom of your foot. They communicate, tell you where you are in space so you can be stronger in your lifts. What else? Um, maybe some type of uh, PNF stretching. So like, for example, doing like uh, external rotation, if you have one side that ex externally rotates more than the other side, and then you want to go and you do a bench press, you have to make sure you address that external rotation or internal rotation to make sure that your joints are able to line up to fire those muscles properly so i'll do some pnf and then before maybe training um like before actually lifting the weight maybe doing something that can excite the nervous system um and i think if you do all of those things you probably won't get injured yeah you're in a good spot yeah and then um probably other than that just making sure that you're pyramiding up in the weight properly and that yeah, and that right. depends on uh, how much weight you're overall going to be lifting that day. So you probably need more warm-ups to get to a five-plate bench than you would getting to a one-plate bench. So yeah, yeah. just being smart with that. Um, and then maybe, you know, also not ever really lifting less than five reps because unless you have a specific strength goal, there's no point of doing that. You're just getting, you're getting a higher risk for less or the same return. So you might as well stick to those six to 12 ranges for the most part. And, and if you can't lift it for five, six reps, it's too heavy for you and you're risking yourself at that point. Yeah, there's no need to go under that. Eh? Like no, no need to go under six reps in bodybuilding. It's just like, That's it. Not going to do anything. Those are the um, mistakes that we learned when we're young. You know, it's like we want to do those one rep maxes just to test ourselves. 
but it doesn't it doesn't help you progress in any way dude it's still in the gym and i see kids yeah. like that they're fucking obsessed with it like yeah walking the gym straight to the deadlift platform straight to the bench press four yeah. or five of their buddies standing around who can lift the most weight yeah so congratulations you guys wasted another day and that's it too like i was at the gym the other day and you know this guy and this girl come in and they just they just walk straight in you know they chat for a bit and then they go straight to the bench and you know he's teaching how to do the you know flat bench right so you know arch your back and all this and she's like no my back hurts it hurts my back to arch this much he's like it's okay like you'll be fine like you just got to get used to it whatever it's like <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> just gotta get used to this <laughs> don't you'll, get used you'll to be fine <laughs> the last thing you should do is get used to doing that <laughs> that's it so you know i think you know preparing yourself for the workout is probably the best thing you can do to get the most out of that workout and prevent injury. Yeah. And don't let your ego get in the way. Like, remember what your goals are. Like if you're trying to get in the gym and you want to be a good bodybuilder, like don't worry about what other people are doing. Don't worry about what other people are lifting. Like don't compare yourself to other people. Like you're on your own mission. You have your own body. Your road is going to be different. Like just like we talked about on the last question, right? Like yeah. you're going to have to take different approaches. Maybe you, you may, you might be the strongest guy in the gym. That might be the best approach for you, or you might have to be the biggest bitch in the gym ever and train like Kai green, like sets of 25 for everything and like focus on your muscular contractions. But if that gets you jacked, yeah. that's great because then your joints are going to have to take a beating when you're doing it. Yeah, exactly. So, think, think about the long term. Yeah, like if I could go in the gym and lift 20 pound dumbbells for everything and be the size I am, I would definitely do that. And I wouldn't care what anybody thought of it because I'd still be the biggest guy. <laughs> like, That's you know? it. And, yeah. and one thing that I always have to remind myself too, like, you know, we talked about this a lot last time. I was like, what do you do if you don't have a good day or this and that? It's like not every single, like one workout, like one single workout does not build the muscle. So going and maxing out that day, it, that's not building muscle for you. Because you can't repeat that. So you got to think about what, what's the long-term progression scheme here. And yeah. that's it. Just remind yourself that one, this one single workout does not build the muscle. It's what I do next time and the time after that and tomorrow and the day after. And it has to make sense for your recovery too. And that's basically, that's one of the main reasons why doing one rep heavy maxes don't work well in the long run is because that's depleting your central nervous system so extremely that yes. the next day you're going to have a hard time even lifting the same weight. So it just, it just doesn't make sense. That's probably the best piece of advice I could give to any young lifter, because I noticed the same thing with you. Like when I go into like an LA fitness or something around here and they're asking me questions, I'm like, are you maxing out on your bench? And they're like, yeah, I'm trying to get stronger. I'm like, don't do that anymore. So whether they listen or not, it's up to them. But at least I gave them the advice, you know, cause that's what I would want someone to tell me when I was doing sh stupid shit, like, you know, sniffing some ammonia and lifting a fucking six plates off the ground deadlift. It doesn't even make sense. Shut up and sit down. thing too man with these fucking kids like yeah. literally so I, I spotted this kid like and uh he ended up posting on the story and stuff and like it was a decent lift but this kid's probably like 18 and i get behind him and then he takes this fucking bottle of ammonia out of his bag like starts snorting it and then drops down to bench 225 oh man and i'm like bro like i was gonna say something but i was like i don't even want to get into this right now like, i just don't care that much but like you're fucking 18 and you need to snort some of that stuff just to lift 225, bro. Like it just shows you like the influence that social media is having, right? It's yeah. like, oh, I'm I'm crazy, man. I'm crazy, like hardcore, like here we go. Like I'm like, I'm like that you shouldn't need that. And like it probably didn't do anything anyway. No. <laughs> like, you no, know, it doesn't. But he took it, he took the video on his Snapchat 
So I don't know he's probably sending some bitches or something, you know. Gotta do it for TikTok, bro. <laughs> yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> yeah, it was funny though. All right, we'll do one more. Man, did you see the fucking? Uh, I don't know if you saw this guy, but he's probably like a 17, 18 year old on on uh, YouTube. He did four thousand milligrams of caffeine before he worked out. No, he never. Yeah, he he calculated like he did like it was like it was crazy, man. Like he literally did four thousand milligrams. Does he have a death wish or what? I don't know. How did he make out? He might be dead, honestly. <laughs> no, I haven't posted. No, I'm serious. Like we we actually looked into it. Like he he posted like a little. He posted another video like a couple months after, and then a couple months after that, and then he just gone. And all the comments were like, "This guy overdosed and died." Dude, um, yeah. There's a local kid here that's like, I, I guess he's changed his ways, but this kid was like a fucking gym hero. This guy. And uh, he had a heart attack. This, yeah. yeah, this guy apparently was doing like 750, 1,000 MIGs every day. See? Yeah, just like living off energy drinks, taking pre-workout before the gym, like energy drinks at night, like just, and yeah, he had a heart attack. And now I, yeah. I see him at the gym, he's just like, he just like runs. <laughs> see, that's the thing. Like when you're, when you're young, you, you don't have the same awareness in your body that you do like when you're like 30 years old, where you understand that, this is really pushing your body way out of homeostasis. You don't know. You just feel jacked up. You're like, fucking, let's go kill it. But you don't, you're not think, you're not listening to your heartbeat. You're not listening to what your gut is telling you. You're just, your mind is just somewhere else. So, yeah, kids like, are I me- man, I remember the first time my, my boss, when I started training, I used to train in my room. And I remember my boss gave me an NO explode for the first time. He had like 50 bottles of it. He's like, look what I got. You want one? I'm like, yeah, okay. I take half a scoop. And I remember being like, almost, I almost felt like violently sick. You know, I'd like go and do my squats. And I was like, oh my God, this is so intense for my body. I like, I couldn't get my heart rate back down and stuff. And after that, I kept using the pre-workout, of course, because it's addicting. But that's one of the things is being aware of what's actually helping my workout and what's harming my workout. And realistically, if you're consuming 300 milligrams or more of caffeine, you're actually constricting your blood vessels and reducing your pump. So not only are you potentially giving yourself some long-term issues, but you're also in the short term, you're actually reducing your workout's effectiveness because ultimately the workout, the whole point of that workout is to get blood in those muscles and so that you can repair them from the training when you're breaking them down. And if you're preventing that with using too many stimulants, then you're just shooting yourself in the foot. So one of the best things you can do is, and this is advice for myself, is take a fucking break from the caffeine, you know? And it's not easy because it feels like- Yeah, man, like I I recommend someone, like if you never try pre-workout, then probably don't. Like like the stimulant pre-workout, I mean, like, you know- Yeah, just get a pump. Yeah, just get a pump product because those are awesome. That's all I use now because like I'll have a coffee or two in the morning, just like little Keurig coffees, like get my caffeine in me so I'm alert, more so for work than anything. Yeah. I find for me, like I'll take the non-stim stuff um they have some good ingredients for like focus and, and shit in it anyway and like once i'm like one or two sets into my workout like i'm good like i'm, I'm in the zone like i'm doing my thing right so yeah. i think people just feel like they need to just like feel all hopped up before they work out like it's yeah. like you know i'd be like fucking fuck you but if someone's like if someone told me hey man if you can't work out with pre-workout then you probably shouldn't work out at all no, yeah, it's just in your mind. I don't have any interest in taking it. Like, yeah. like it's not even doesn't appeal to me at all anymore. I'm, I'm glad I grew out of that. So, like, what I was saying is like all anymore. I'm, I'm glad I grew out of that. So, like, what I was saying is like, if you never try it, then you're never gonna grow this dependency on it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, yeah. I would honestly give that advice to someone. Just, just avoid it as long as you can. Yeah. Okay, I'll just we'll just end on this one. Um, yeah. If you can only if you can only work out four days a week, what would your split look like? um probably just do the old dorian yates uh legs day one and then i'd probably do like a chest uh chest biceps day two take a day off and then i would probably do uh back and then you know shoulders and triceps and then rest rest yeah 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 i would do I would... biceps day off yeah and that's what I would do. So pretty much same thing, yeah. Just same thing, but you're gonna, you know, just orient it based on what you need. 
And the other thing too is like if it, if it was a if it was like a super beginner, then maybe I would do like upper lower upper lower. Yeah, that could be really effective too. Uh, yeah, that could be really effective too. Um, and then also too, like if you needed like like if you didn't have really good arms and you need an arm day, you could just do like uh, you could do like a push pull legs arms kind of a thing. Yeah, you could do so, that too. right. Yeah, I've done that before, and that's actually a good one too. Yeah, yeah, especially like if you had right. someone who like chest dominant or something. Yeah, I know because I think push pull legs works really well, um, but it, it worked well for me because my arms are already grew really well, and I didn't have to train them that much, which I'm lucky. But not everybody's like that, so they might need to add that arm day on top of it. Because then that way, when you do chest, shoulders, and triceps, it's a lot. You know, when you do back, rear delts, and biceps, it's a lot. Yeah. So it just you know you kind of want to. You kind of want to look at the overall volume in that day too, not just like the week. Yeah, not everyone gets huge arms as easy as us. That's it. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> All right, yeah, cool. Uh, working on uh, 24 inches. <laughs> we'll end it there today. Hey. We'll, say we'll end it there today. Uh, I'm going to actually hit some chest today. What about you? Uh, I got I got chest too. Yeah. Yeah, man. Nice, man. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to Matt Jansen and he, fucking, you know, hey, just hold that thought. I got to pee. Just okay. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. So we'll just use this time to plug our sponsor, Amino Asylum. And right now we have code beef 20, which will get you 20% off from your Amino Asylum products. They have a lot of really good peptides like TB500, which is what I recommend my clients use on a consistent basis to help with reducing tendon and health and uh, tendon and joint issues. Also, BPC157 is very effective for that as well. Um, helps with muscle repair and tendons uh, and backwater. Anyways, um, so I was talking to Matt, thinking about having him coach me for this year. Send him some pictures. He's like, I'll just read it to you. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> He's like, hey, Robin, I would honestly rather have a year to work with you and help you develop some more. If the goal is to win at a high level, I think you're still missing some things in order to do that. The first thing that stands out to me here is your chest and quads. They're, they both need to be bigger and they need to be detailed and also your midsection, which needs to be detailed and more complete overall so that you can really put yourself in a position to win. So basically that fucking sucks to hear, but I don't know really what I'm going to do at this point, but uh, I'm going to keep pushing anyways, you know? Hmm. Yeah, man. I don't know. Like how long, when was the last time you competed? Uh, I competed in June, 2021. In 2021, so it's been a year. So you basically took a full year off. Pretty much, I had I had three I had three four months and I was off everything. Yeah, and then I I did my my off season cycle and then, you know, little break again and then I, I was thinking like okay I'll just I'll push the prep now. So yeah, I don't know, man. Like I feel like yeah, okay. So if I was you, I would I'd follow through with the prep and I would do it. I would still compete if I was you, and then see how much you improved yeah because like, this is that's the first time as a pro that you've like really taken time to improve like you yeah know, see where you're at again and then you'll know if you need like a year or, or longer off to, to to improve again like you know what i mean i still think you have lots of time dude it's not like you're 30 yeah. or 37 years old right no and it just you know it's just difficult because 
I've, I've done a lot of my own preps now and I'm kind of just, I'm looking for a coach that I can kind of just stick with. So you. it's like, I don't really have a lot of confidence that I can win a show on my own because I haven't done it yet. You know, like going pro was one thing. I was confident that I could do that. And I had Benoit helping me. Now Benoit still helped me, but like neither him or I obviously have ever won a pro show. So that's the next level that I, I feel like I want to have someone who's done that before to guide me. And that's, that's basically the only reason why I'm not fully confident, but regardless, you know, I'm only going to keep getting better. And that's, that's what we're here to do. So like, I'm not trying to think too, too much because like you said, I had that plan to do it. I'm, I'm basically going to follow through with that plan. Unless if I'm not ready, if I not, if I don't look like I'm going to win that fucking show, then I'm not, I'm probably not going to you know step on stage. Obviously there's other shows yeah. By the time I get to Tampa, it's going to be about eight weeks out. So um, I'm going to work with Adam, uh, Adam Brammer down there. Because um, he's a good friend of mine, right? So I, I just, I feel like, you know, just having someone there in person. Yeah. Dude, a drastic difference, right? That's so huge. That's huge. Yeah. So, so that's the plan. And, and then we'll just see what happens, man. You know, just see what the, what the body does. Yeah, no, dude. Yeah, exactly. And I think like you got to like really see where you're at mentally too. Like, like, honestly, I think if you're like in the mindset to compete and like you're motivated and you're focused, then that's what I would do because it's like, it's kind of hard to be in that frame of mind and then just be like, okay, I'm just going to take another year to keep getting better. And like, you know what it's like, like it's one thing like starting with a coach doing a prep and then going into an off season. Cause like you have like a pretty strong bond with that person. But I feel like just like starting with a new coach and just going into a year off season, like that's kind of weird. Like, yeah. You know, because it's like, but you can do your own off season. You know, like I feel like, like yeah, it's like, what are you gonna do? And like, how much are you gonna communicate? Like, like yeah. we all know what the off season entails. Like, how closely is is someone gonna be able to like monitor your training and and everything throughout the off season? And make sure you're improving. Like, it's I feel like that's something you can just do on your own anyway. Yeah. Plus, when you when you when you're Stop. in the off season phase, you don't see all the improvements right away. Anyways, that's you gotta feel say. yourself down. Yeah, yeah, you got you got to get yourself as shredded as possible to see, you know, well, okay, well, maybe this deflated too much, so I know I need more size there, but it might not. Like things might improve. Like usually, things can still improve on a prep if you're doing it right. So, and I think your body can improve this prep, especially with the way that you yeah. handled drugs in the last year. Yeah, you know I mean, I think you set yourself up in a position to like actually improve muscular wise as you go into the show, yeah. and that's why I think you should do it because, like you just said you'll have a better idea of what your physique actually looks like. So then say you do this show and you get like third or fourth. Right. And cause I feel like that's the worst you could do, honestly. And then, uh, and then like, then you're like, okay, I need more time. I need another year before I'm going to be able to win a pro show. That's a much better time to start with a coach. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're lean. They can see exactly what you look like and where you need to improve. And then you can develop a more like educated off season plan yeah. to make those improvements. Like that's what I think. Yeah. That, no, that makes sense. And, and the other thing too, is like, like watching all these shows earlier in the year, I'm like, fuck, I should have done that show. I should have done this show. I should have done that show. It's just going to, it's just going to keep happening if I don't compete. I'm like, oh, I should have done that show. I could have placed, I, you know, I should have done, I could have beaten this guy. Cause you know, you, you make up in your mind what you think you can do. So when you, when you see shows where, you, where you're going against guys that you believe you can beat them, you wish you were in that show because you want to fucking beat them. Right. Yeah. So I think the only way to, to like get that kind of confidence is go out there and beat some guys. Cause otherwise you're never going to, you're never going to know. Yeah, dude, no, hundred percent, man. And like, crazy shit can happen in prep, man. Like, your body yeah. can catch a good groove, and you can look, you can look pretty nuts, man. And yeah. it's just like you got a shit ton of muscle on your body, dude. You're a big guy. Like, you come in peeled. Like, it, we all know, like, it, a lot, like fifty percent of this is conditioning. Come today, yeah. I should know. Like, yeah. the guys who are the most peeled are the guys who are going to be in the top call out, yeah. and then it's just a battle of symmetry and muscle and all that shit, right? Yeah. So you just got to get yourself there, man. You know, yeah. you just got to get yourself in that first call out and 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 pose off. And that's it. That's it, man. Yeah. Oh, that, that's the fucking plan then, man. I'm not going to deviate from that. So. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Sweet. I appreciate that, bro. Yeah, of course, man. All right. We'll, we'll wrap it up there. Um, yeah, thank you guys for listening. So like we were saying, we're going to do more Q&As every week. So make sure you actually leave your questions in the YouTube comments, because then we can go and we can read them when we do each episode. We'll also put up the Q and A's on Instagram too, but I think those ones are just, they're going to stay there. So they're more solid. Plus it helps with the algorithm. Plus make sure you subscribe. Plus make sure you share this with two friends that you would know would love listening to us because that's going to help our channel grow and we can provide more content for you guys. So 
Uh, thanks, brother. We'll see you next week. See you guys. All right. Hey guys, thanks for watching Canadian Beef Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe to the channel. Check us out on Spotify. You can use our code at helixonline.com. The code is BEEF20, that's B-E-E-F-2-0 at checkout. You're gonna save yourself 20% off. You're gonna help our podcast grow. Thank you so much, guys. See you in the next episode.